Welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. And welcome back for part two with our special guest, Bob Schaefer, as we talk about the American culture war and how we as citizens can stand up and be courageous and make a persuasive argument for individual liberty and the American way. Here we go. I think what I'm encouraging parents to do, and, and I want your opinion on this, I know that you're for school choice. You're for giving parents the opportunity to make those decisions. Um, you know, my take is if the school isn't educating your kids the way you want them to, you have to make a different decision, whether that's homeschooling or finding a charter school that is in alignment with your values or finding co-ops or private school or whatever the other type of education is. Part of what we want is we want the money that goes into the education of the kid to go with the kid to whatever educational choice those parents make. You've got a lot of experience in this area. What do you what are the solutions here? Well, there, there are solutions at, at multiple levels. Um, let's 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 well, let's start. I'll, I'll just uh, make a simple statement about the most obvious. And that is, uh, yes, the education of your child is one of the most fundamental and, and important responsibilities a parent's ha a parent has when yeah. it comes to raising their children. So if uh, if an education, if your child is receiving a poor or substandard education um, in your community, you should mm -hmm. do whatever it takes. Beg, borrow, you know, call the parent, call your parents and ask for yeah. help and assistance. Um, set up a GoFundMe page, whatever it takes mm -hmm. to get your kid into a better school. You should sacrifice whatever it takes to. In fact, mm -hmm. I won't even use the word sac. That, that's not a sacrifice. That is right. what parents do. Um, mm -hmm. And and so um, and so that's that's the most obvious answer. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned the money there. There is an enormous amount of I mean, the, the reason public education in America has become such a a, a corrupt uh, mm -hmm. uh, representation of our government on, on every level is because Jimmy, this is where the money is. It, there wow. is more money being spent on education in America than anything else. And I say wow. it's, and that is true when you step back and consider the totality, which I can't even calculate. So sure, we can think about state education budgets, local district education budgets in the U.S. Department of Education, but add mm -hmm. into that all other education expenditures and higher education, loans, insurance programs, yeah. the retirement funds for all the workers in universities and in school districts. Um, uh, yeah, insurance plans that cover all these workers uh, through their employment, um, bonds for borrowing and new capital construction projects. And so once you throw yeah. all the cash, uh, consider all of the cash involved in the education industry, it is mm. far and away uh, the, the, the place where we see the, the largest amounts of money coursing through government agencies and bureaucracies. Mm -hmm. All right. So having, you, you can't ignore that. So to acknowledge mm -hmm. that, the next question then becomes, well, how can we ta attach a little more freedom or customer orientation to how these dollars flow toward mm -hmm. parent choices? And that's where the political battles tend to be. So we should yeah. be for, um, you know, anything that moves, that, that empowers parents. And to mm. make the most important choices about children rather than a government worker making the most mm. important decisions about your child. So, so charter schools is a step in that direction. Um, but tuition tax credits, vouchers, um, you know, any, anything, anything we can possibly think of that empowers parents with more academic choice and broadens the, the menu of mm. academic options in a community 
are steps in the right direction. And we should be advocating all of that. And, you know, all right. So we as parent advocates could agree on that. But these mm-hmm. board members that probably uh, knowing the school district you're talking about, the, the board members that you encountered that were probably unanimous in their frustration with activist parents showing up at their meetings, yes. even their lives, if they would take the time to think about it, their lives would be made so much easier if they mm-hmm. just acknowledge that the minority of parents who showed up at the board meeting with you, there ought to be a place for you and they should help you yeah. go get that so that you can go obtain that thing, uh, mm-hmm. that, that setting in isolation, let's say. Um, yeah. and, and, and yet the majority of parents who may want something else, they can have that too. I mean, who's not looking for a win-win in any political situation, but mm-hmm. The blinders are kind of on these people who get elected to school boards typically and uh, and 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 others in, in this massive bureaucracy uh, because they they become conditioned to think about the institution and the workers in it first yeah. and the children and families second almost as afterthoughts and in that regard they're farming cash off of children in order to maintain the political structures that they have that uh, result in comfortable lives for for a great many of them and um and so that 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 needs to be disrupted you going to board meetings and other parents like you is a is a great way to start um and it works there are look in Colorado there are i think 178 school districts uh in our state there are a, a more than a handful of them. There are a good number of them that are where the, the community won and and yeah. voted for school board members who are pro-parent and believe yeah. in school choice. And there there are very good places. I, I like that you know the media often describes the public education industry in the terms of Gomorrah. And mm. uh, that's sometimes fair, sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's not. But even within its walls, there are good schools to be found. And yeah. prudent parents need to take the initiative to 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 fight for uh, mm. the good schools that exist w- within the walls of a sinful city, and yeah. uh, and get their kids into better schools, and pick the better the better teachers, the better administrators, and choose them because there are there are lots there are lots of good actors and good players in this academic environment. Yeah, I think one of the things that we saw over the last couple of years, I think in particular because of the you know, the COVID lockdowns and remote learning and all, all of the things that came with that. And, um, you know, that a lot of our kids fell behind because of the, some of the mandates with the masking and that created some learning issues. There's a lot of stuff going on. I had an opportunity. I've shared this story before to sit in on one of my daughter's high school classes. And I, what I was most concerned with, of course, of course, I'm concerned with young kids getting exposed to hypersexual materials or even having it, I I can't imagine why it's in the schools, to be quite honest with you. I don't know what it has to do with education. Um, But at the same time, what I was most concerned with was kind of this collectivist mob Marxist mentality where you couldn't have a dissenting opinion about virtually anything that went against kind of this leftist ideology. And my daughter was sharing some differences of opinions with respect to medical freedom. We'll talk a little bit about that with respect to making decisions about your personal health. Um, and I was appalled at kind of the groupthink, this collectivist idea that you couldn't dissent from the prevailing opinion. That concerns me as much as anything, especially if we're trying to create people who can think for themselves, critically think, rather than just people that uh, recite whatever the, the latest opinion is. I would rather have my kids be able to think and make decisions on their own. 
Do you see that happening in our schools? Kind of this indoctrination in into a singular way of thinking? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, this is uh, being promoted and advanced in uh, modern teacher colleges and many teachers come out of these institutions with the full belief that it is their it is their mission and goal and objective to to change society um, and to change the culture um, that oh, that's a fine thing for people to be involved in. I, I want to be involved in improving the culture. You do, too. And mm -hmm. and uh, and. You know, most leaders in a community do, but the purpose of a school yeah. is academic. And what you what you you have observed, what you just described, are are non academic uh, objectives that a school yeah. has established for itself, or that a classroom yeah. has established for its, it, itself. Uh, there are places for that, but mm. in my view, a school is is not it. Um, yeah. All right, that's my view. In in your yeah. view, it's not, it sounds like you agree. The, yep. the point is. We ought to be able to choose academic institutions in which we could educate our child. We ought to have more choices where that is, uh, where, where that is the case. And yeah. I, and, and so many of our friends will say, we need, we need to stop what, what is being taught in one classroom or another. And I reject that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I say, no, it, there, there must be parents <clears throat> who want anti-intellectual, non-academic content taught to their kids instead <laughs> of rigorous academic content. Those parents should have a choice. There should be a place for them. And in our town, they're very fortunate because that's that's almost every school in northern Colorado. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of us, there should be there should be equal and vibrant choices over time. Yes. The marketplace the marketplace will come to the the better place for yeah. for most parents. And most parents will come to realize, well if I have an option between you know, cultural socialization and, and, and cultural indoctrination yeah. and a place where my kid's going to have a deep dive into history and math. Most parents are going to choose the academic option, but yeah. there still should be options for those teachers who prefer to teach non-academic content for parents who prefer non-academic content for their children. I, I maintain there ought to be choices for them. I'm not for banning mm -hmm. anything. I'm not for shutting down um, options for for parents, I I let's cre I'm for creating a marketplace where the best yeah. ideas rise to the top, and everybody wants that because their children benefit the most. That's yeah. the same viewpoint our founders had, by the way. And yeah. so uh, and and so I, what I'm suggesting, what you're suggesting, is nothing radical. It is in yeah. fact very American, right? And I think creating that competitive. The part of the problem is we don't have a competitive, largely don't have a competitive environment where the resources are available to parents to make those decisions, and it, it does require parents to sacrifice or to come up with additional resources to do it or to make decisions to pull their kids out, which become more painful. They're paying taxes into an educational system and they can't take advantage of those resources. So they have to pay on top of that oftentimes to have those options. I think what you're proposing is a truly competitive environment would be $10,000 goes with your kid wherever you choose as a parent to find that best education. Oh my gosh. Katie, bar the door, because I think that competitive environment is going to produce world class education. And those, you know, parents that want their kids to be indoctrinated into socialist ideology, they can choose that. But those of us that don't and that want them to thrive and to be critical thinkers and, and be striving for excellence and, by the way, have virtue, which is something that our founding fathers and all of our founders talked a lot about, we would have the, a much easier option to make that happen.
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. we know this to be true. It's not something we have to yeah. imagine. Wherever yeah. choice is preferred and allowed to thrive, the quality of education tends to soar. Um, uh, there's a new Stanford study that just came out that uh, mm-hmm. on charter schools, for example. Now, charter schools is not the full definition of school choice, but uh, but charter schools throughout the country studied in isolation shows remarkable mm-hmm. progress in academic improvement and results, uh, you know, uh, higher results uh, for children who attend them. Um, yeah. I maintain that even when that little bit of choice is allowed to exist within a community, the other schools, regular public schools, just mm. when confronted with the, the 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 market force, yeah, they they have different meetings now about how can we improve, how can we keep up, why are some of our parents leaving here and going there, how can we stop that from happening, and yeah. so um, just just introducing choice doesn't mean you have to choose a charter school or go to a private school or use a voucher to go right. somewhere else, but the fact that so many others can is going to improve the setting and situation, because again, in a marketplace, it forces, it it forces the most important um, rational decisions about quality and improvement and cost effectiveness and so on. When, which in a monopoly um, are are not necessary. Right. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why this educational engagement strategy where, you know, basically you're advocating for parents and grandparents and others who care about the education of their kids and grandkids to engage fully. And so if you find yourself in a public school environment where you're dissatisfied with the way uh, your children are being educated, then you should engage and, and make your voice known and engage on scale. Get as many of your neighbors who feel the same way to do that. In the event that you can't make another decision, which I would say there's always another choice, right? Whether it's homeschool or charter or private, there's there's always a way to find an alternative. But in the event that you feel like you can't, that you're stuck in what I would consider a government school that's teaching in a way that you're not excited about, you have an obligation, a moral obligation to engage and participate. And I think that's the key takeaway, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and I um I really am believe that um you know what are the institutions that have the 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 greatest most direct concern and involvement in the family those are churches and synagogues yes. religious institutions yes. religious institutions and leaders of them really need to step up i think and and um and 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 be be completely forceful unabashed when it comes yes. to supporting families by helping them make these choices uh, yeah sometimes taking yes. your kid out of a free well uh, it's not free but uh, right. a um, a tuition free public school and moving them to a more expensive private school is um it can be hard to finance yeah. um but this, but th- this is a decision that is at the core of maintaining the integrity of a family and yes. If yeah. churches, synagogues, religious institutions, and let's just say other fraternal organizations in a community really care about mm. the most central and essential unit of society, which is the family, then yes. uh, our, 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 our missionary eff- efforts, uh, our evangelical efforts ought to be um, directed more intensively toward uh, toward fostering families that are in pursuit of, of a good education, certainly one that does not yes. undermine the values and virtues that are taught at yeah. home and reinforced at their church and synagogue. Yes. Okay. You just, in my opinion, you just came up with an idea that I that is groundbreaking in some ways because I've been saying to the churches, hey, start a school or use your church 
facilities to have co-ops there and have homeschoolers come and meet and, you know, get, um, give people options. But what you just suggested was perhaps the church could be engaged in a mission to fund, to help fund uh, people's educational choice. So if I'm a member and I've got this family that comes to this church and I want to send them to a school that reinforces my values and my faith standing, what if the church had resources available to help those families make those choices? That's a game changer. And that really is the essence of freedom, right? Is where we're pooling our resources. We're not depending upon the government to do it for us. We're going to take control of that and do it ourselves. Right. Absolutely. I, I, you yeah. know, religious-based schools are oh. the only institutions that can deliver 100% of what an education can be. Um, so I am here in a charter school. It is a public school. It's funded with public funds. And so we are constrained and, mm-hmm. and repressed by our government in delivering a complete education. So I like to say we can only deliver about 80% of what an education should be at this school, right. um, meaning we can't teach religion uh, we can teach about religion, uh, yeah. we, uh, world religions and so on, um, but we can't do a deep dive, let's say, into yeah. a, a Judaic tradition or, or Christianity mm-hmm. and so on uh, or Islam or any, anything right. like that. But um, uh, but the advantage that I would apply, even in your statement, the, the reason I think pastors and rabbis in town ought to encourage their families to get into a our charter school yeah. is because part of our mission is to... Um, is is to embrace the 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 the, the non religious aspect of a government run school. And when I say fully embrace it, I mean we do not undermine it. We do not supplant yes. religion with uh, uh, with other representations of a state religion in in a school. Yeah. The kinds of things that you observe taking place in your daughter's classroom, yeah. we reject all of that. This is an institution yes. that focuses just on an academic mission and refuses yeah. to teach anything that ventures into what would one one would consider religion. And so yeah. as a result of that, this becomes a very safe place for yes. um, the people who send their kids here. This school attracts lots of people of faith yes. across the waterfront of, yes. uh, of all representations. I mean, we've got them all. We've got Jews, Christians, Muslims, um, yeah. we, they, all of them here. And, and so we we attract yeah. we attract people for whom their faith is important because this yeah. is we assert and we um, are are serious about the notion that this that this school is a government yeah. school that at the very least will never undermine what is being taught at home and so yeah. um, and so you know I'm Roman Catholic so my you know my kids my grandkids can get their religious education elsewhere. But they're not going to come here to school and be told that that was wrong. That right. will never happen. Same with the right. Jewish families. They will never be told that what they learn at their synagogue is wrong. Um, yes. And so, uh, and so, yes. you know, th- there is great freedom in what I just described, but there yes. is even deeper, more complete education in a religious school that can reinforce what families yeah. are learning at home. And, um, and so especially children when they're in their formative years, when they're surrounded by a proper message about the human condition, uh, the yeah. origins of man, um, the, 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 you know, the spiritual nature of, uh, of the human person, um, yes. when they're surrounded by that everywhere they go, well, that, that's a yes. pretty powerful force multiplier that gives that yeah. child an even better uh, chance at uh, being well educated as they mature through life. I love that. And I think it goes back to this idea that you don't want your 
traditions, your faith, your belief to be undermined. You want it. You want to be able to send your kids into an environment that's safe, where I don't have to undo a lot of things that are taught every day. And I can tell you in, in hundreds of conversations with neighbors, with people in our communities, that is probably the biggest concern is that they now have to have conversations with their kids that are undoing what they would consider and what I certainly would consider an indoctrination into a different worldview, a different belief system. And we have to always be on defense. And it's just a it's an exhausting position for parents to be in. And that's why we're engaging, I think, at the level we are. This is all around this idea of freedom versus force, right? It's that the freedom to choose versus being forced to indoctrinate in a certain thing. Let's shift gears from education a little bit, because I know you have a broad spectrum of experience. Let's talk a little bit about medical and health freedom. Uh, you know, during the last two or three years, you know, especially during the COVID challenge, we saw, in my opinion, we saw government use force in ways and on a scale that we have never seen before. Um, we saw mandates. We saw social distancing. We saw restrictions to gatherings. Uh, you know, you couldn't meet at churches, but you could certainly go to the bar and the strip club, which never made any sense to me. Um, they were restricting family gatherings for holidays or trying travel restrictions, business lockdowns. I have never seen the level of sweeping, um, you know, force, government force. Uh, it, and at the same time, kind of a coordinated censoring and silencing of doctors and anyone who dared to promote an alternative to the situation that we were facing. How was this possible in America? Now, granted, if, it, if this was a catastrophic threat, maybe there, maybe there are reasons to take these types of you know, actions. But how is that type of shutdown, government control, government force, especially through the bureaucracy? Right. Because a lot of it was done through public health officials who are unelected bureaucrats. How is that possible in America? And would there ever be a time or circumstance where where that made sense, where that would be acceptable? Well, there's uh, well, uh, so a couple questions. How does how does it happen? Well, fear, fear is a pretty powerful motivator. And it uh, fear, fear is a um, is a is a factor that that compels yeah. compliance in sometimes um you know the, the most unexplainable irrational ways um sure. and when, when you when you study great leaders and when i say great i mean prominent leaders not not good yeah. when you study right. when you study prominent leaders th throughout the history of human civilization uh, those who are able to manipulate and utilize fear to their advantage are very mm -hmm. very effective um yeah. and so um and it, it, it usually usually toward the ends of achieving some some evil outcome uh but right. it's it's an effective motivator uh without question and then on top of fear fear is usually uh inspired by lack of knowledge or some confusion mm -hmm. of some sort and you think when the covid um uh, virus started breaking out uh, just think of all the questions any rational person would have yeah. and that is you know how infectious is it uh, we heard right. stories and we knew people who died and so on and so you know is this and and, and at these points in time uh, it, it's it's possible you imagine it, it's possible that a virus of the sort could transform the country and transform yeah. everything we love and care about 
And so you listen to those who um, seem to have the most credibility and helping helping navigate a way through this. And who is that? You know, it's, mm-hmm. these are people with MDs and you know, virologists and and others who uh, have advanced degrees in the very thing that seems to be threatening us and and are empowered by government. Um, yeah, we, as, as citizens, we put an awful lot of um, credibility into the hands of scientists plus plus government workers yeah. um and 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 then massive amounts of americans uh conforming to to all of this i mean think of how many of your friends and neighbors were part of a campaign which in hindsight we look back realize it was very uninformed it was poorly yes. mapped poorly planned but some of our friends and neighbors were sh- the ones wagging their fingers and shouting <laughs> at us to put your mask on or go home <laughs> or you know you know all oh that so so you had there were there yeah. was a there was a popular component of uh, popular c- compliance and and and, yeah. and and assistance. All right, so you know, um, yeah, the, probably the big out out of all of this, you know, it, it should be frightening that so many Americans are willing to abandon their freedom in the fa- it, it, really easily, as easily as it turned yes. out to be. Um, this this should be frightening for all of us. But yes. um, probably even on top of that, probably the 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 greatest miscarriage of justice was the obscene amount of money the federal government spent and is still spending yeah. on a uh, on a, a pandemic, an epidemic that was grossly exaggerated in terms of yes. its its effect. And this yes. is going to be a, a debt that is going to saddle generations, uh, probably another two or three generations. Of, of, of Americans. And, um, these dollars are still being spent. And, and, and again, when looking back through the audits of how some of these dollars were actually spent, they, they were spent on things totally unrelated. Uh, they were spent with dollars that didn't exist. They turned on the printing press and had to create the dollars to spend in, in order to propel our country deeper and deeper into debt. And, um, and these expenditures are hardly relatable to the supposed crisis at hand. And so, um, well, you know, I'm a kind of a throw the bums out sort of person. I think when it comes to election time, I I don't care whether you're sympathetic to the cause now or in hindsight, you see the light. If you were there at that point of time and helped preside over this catastrophe, economic catastrophe, political catastrophe, you need to be replaced. So we as voters need to make that happen. Um, mm. And it, has it ever happened, uh, it occurred before? Yes, in various degrees. I mean, certainly there was martial law imposed on uh, the northern states during the Civil War, um, mm. uh, during the Second World War as well, it'd be a little little more recently. Yeah, yeah, mm. there were, um, I don't know if I'd call it martial law, but there were, uh, there, there were temporary um, orders that were in, in, in the context of a nation at war that were imposed upon the country that caused us to do our Americans at the time to do everything from turn their lights out at a certain time, have curfews, um, you know, ration their purchases of, of oil and rubber and butter and, you know, everything else. So yeah, yeah, there have been, there have been times when the country has been compelled to dramatically liberate liberty, uh, uh restrict liberty, excuse me. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> For for what was considered considered to be for the for the good of the country, more defensible when a country's at war, um, uh, yeah. less defensible when it comes to the government using authority to guess its way through a uh, supposed crisis. Yeah, and I think now it's interesting. You know, I remember back in the earliest days of the crisis. I remember 
you know, following all the rules. I was washing my hands and cleaning the surfaces with all the disinfectants and all the rest of that nonsense, which proved not to matter. And then I wore the mask for a couple of weeks and we kind of we kind of uh, made sure that my daughter, you know, we've got several kids. Most are grown, but our youngest daughter was with us. And we kind of made sure that we weren't taking unnecessary risks. We weren't potentially, you know, being exposed in different environments. But then once once the truth started to come out about who was really at risk and who wasn't, you 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 learned very quickly that much of this power grab, much of the individual freedoms that we were giving up was unwarranted. And I think that's the the caution that that I'm kind of fighting against now is, you know, and I think there's probably never been a time with lower levels of trust in leadership in general, uh, in governmental leadership in particular. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of a sad, uh, you know, kind of casualty of that crisis and the way it was was handled. But I think what it's doing now is waking people up to have independent agency over their lives again, to take personal responsibilities for their own dis- decisions that they make. And maybe we'll close with this. Um, President Reagan once said that freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. And I think you mentioned that in one of the classes and, you know, that it doesn't get automatically passed on to our children just because they're Americans. It has to be fought for. It has to be protected and handed on. And I heard you recite uh, the Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech by Patrick Henry. It was really compelling. Do we need to have that same sense of urgency and passion today to engage in this fight for freedom? Oh, oh, yes. Reagan was right. And uh, Reagan, you might say, paraphrased um, yeah. uh, Benjamin Franklin and um, who and, and John Adams, um, who uh, even at the time they were creating a, a, a government, uh, signing a Declaration of Independence and, and, and then eventually drafting a constitution and getting it ratified. Mm-hmm. Uh, they specifically it, it, suggested and stated and and all the best presidents all the best leaders have since then in, in their own words just as, as Reagan did that the only thing preserving and protecting the Republic our country our yeah. philosophy and, and way of life is is you and me and our children and and yeah. others in our sphere of influence that that we know it's why leadership is so important and when I say leadership I don't mean government people even yes. government elected we call them leaders all the time we should stop right. doing that. Um, yes. The president is not our leader. He is a public servant. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. in Congress are public servants. Our mm-hmm. mayor and our, our city council, these are all public servants. We, we are the leaders. And, and, yes. and, um, when we fail to understand that, um, well, then, then, then we hand over leadership to somebody who's not really appointed to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in doing so, yeah, risk, uh, the maintenance of, of the republic. So I, yeah. I agree with that Good. wholeheartedly that, um, it, yeah, I think Americanism kind of runs in our DNA, but uh, but it, it will vanish like like all flames. Um, sometimes yeah. they do blow out if they're not strong enough and if they're not protected enough. And 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 this yeah. one can easily, just as Reagan suggested. So that's that's yeah. why all everything we've discussed. That, that, that's yeah. why maintaining our our freedom and our independence through when it comes to healthcare is so central and essential. Maintaining yeah. a strong economy is is essential. Um, in in uh, in my volunteer life through leadership program of the Rockies, I focus on the leadership capacity of adults in our state and in our community and, and in other states where LPR exists now. And, uh, and then in my day job here at a school, um, you know, I'm headmaster of a school that covers kindergarten through 12th grade. So we've got 1500 kids in the school at any given time. 
And uh, this is uh, this is what I think is important, how I want to spend my time and, and what I want to devote myself to is giving Amazing. them a fighting chance to be wise enough to be strong Americans, free Americans, sufficient mm. to help maintain and sustain our glorious republic. Mm, yes. So, you know, and that's maybe that's the best way. You know, you just gave great examples of the way you're engaging. And I and that's part of what I admire about you is that your life has a, a theme of trying to you know protect individual liberties and make our communities as strong as they can be for everybody, uh, for everybody that's in our neighborhoods, in our communities. What are one or two or three things that they can do to actively engage in protecting individual liberties and the country that we love so much? Well, I think. You know, look, not everybody has to run a school or run yep. a leadership program of the Rockies or be a college professor or be a teacher. You know, any walk of life is a suitable station for being on this battlefield. And it is a worthy battlefield. I mean, you have to do it. So my point being is, is if you run a small business, if you're involved in ministry, if you're in the media, if you are um, just the, the head of your household and leader in your, your house, um, mm. Everywhere we go, there is a sphere of influence we can have if we aspire to first understand it, care yeah. about it, and love it, and uh, and and all the people that that we encounter, and 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 then we, you know, look, there, there there's great conflict in political and religious discussions. We know this. I mean, the <laughs> the, the 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 warning we all get, yeah. you know, never talk about church and politics at the dinner table, uh, or especially you know when you're all together at uh, at, at a Christmas holiday or whatever. All right. But if we aspire, if we take all of these roles seriously, yeah. everything we're involved in, we have to gingerly step into these conversations. Yeah. And I would submit anywhere we happen to be. Um, yes. at, at LPR, we talk about our, our sphere of influence, our, our orbit mm. that we are, we are in. And we talk about our proximity influence. Uh, uh we talk about power sneezing and all that yeah. it means is that, um, we're, we're infecting others with good ideas. And yeah, that takes some finesse. You've got to be careful about the words. We don't want to be in people's no. faces. We want to choose, we want to choose the right, the right words that we know, uh, will resonate with a reasonable person. And so, yeah. um, so that's, that's my advice. So, so many, I, I run into so many business owners who have, mm. who have employees. And they say, you know, I can't talk about this with my employees. And I say, I think to myself, why not? You have to, because, they are voters. They are some of them are writing checks to the politicians who are trying to destroy your business. Some of yeah. them are promoting virtues and values that are that that, that are imperiling your children and and other, you yeah. you can't be neutral. Mm. God never intended any of us to be neutral in a society. Um, yeah. There are places for people who want that role. It's called hermits. So you go live in a cave and you don't interact with anyone. But for yeah. the rest of us, there's great joy. There's great joy in interacting with wherever we happen to be. And and what should we be doing? We should be leading and with mm. cheerfully and yeah. and enjoying the notion of um, of trying to engage to the greatest intellectual ability we have talents to do in yeah. uh, in, in important topics and conversation and talk about how we should live. That is a, yes. that is a, that is exactly the topic any leader should be discussing. And to the extent we can do that. this through conversation rather than shooting at one another, well, that's the gift and legacy of not only the founding fathers, but every warrior who ever put on a uniform and mm. went to the front lines first so that we could have civil conversations. If they yes. sacrificed all that and we fail to engage in a civil conversation, that is an mm. insult. 
to everyone yeah. who's ever shed blood on a battlefield for American uh, for American yeah. values. And so don't be don't be the person who takes all that for granted and 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 gives our republic away through uh, what a little bit of fear, a little bit of intimidation, yeah. a little discomfort maybe. Uh, be cheerful yeah. about it. That's what an American yeah. is. We need to live like them. I love it. Hey, thanks for that charge. I mean, I knew I knew you were going to inspire our listeners to engage. And that's that's what it's going to take. It's going to take that courageous engagement. You know, no topic is off limits. You know, be a person of integrity. Live that integrity out in all of your relationships. Bob, thanks so much for investing in us. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate you, too. You bet. 